Hey, yo, 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 welcome back, welcome back, everybody's episode 39, episode 39 of the Independent Intel Podcast. It's your usual host, your regular host, the best host on the platform, because usually I'm not, well, I am the only one on the platform, Kambui Bomani, man, of Independent Intel, and I'm back, man, episode 39, try to get a guest to come through for us this week, wasn't able to get my guy FOV Sports to talk fantasy football he will be back around soon enough, probably aiming towards when the NFL season is officially over. So the expert sports fantasy football guy himself, FOV, can talk about the highs and lows of his fantasy seasons. Well, we can kind of go back and forth on both of our NFL fantasy football seasons. And he, as the expert, could go in depth on who was the fantasy home run who's the fantasy loser, the sleeper, and then we can look towards next season. I want to give myself a pat on the back, by the way. I won my fantasy league, if I didn't tell you guys this, the last podcast episode. Went 12-3, came on top. Um, I was in a league where we drafted actually before the preseason even started, and I feel like a lot of guys in my league kind of shut it down early in the season when guys that they were kind of hinging their seasons on didn't come through for them because they got hurt during the preseason. So, Confident in my ability. I always felt like every time I do fantasy football and I put my all into it, whereas drafting well, living on the waiver wire well, making deals and whatnot, I win. First time I did fantasy, I won my league um, thanks to Tyrod Taylor, out of all people who's still in the league, by the way. So I'm thinking about probably doing two fantasy leagues next season. I'm going to do the standard and I'm going to do PPR. And I got my own individual philosophies on how I'm attack those two leagues. And I can't wait to see where that goes in the NFL fantasy football round. Look, man, this is going to be an all football podcast today. I got three topics to go in on. Brian Flores, the playoff picture is real now. It's a legit playoff picture. I'm going to go in depth on who I see winning the respective playoff games that are upcoming tomorrow and Sunday. And we even got playoff football on Monday. I honestly don't agree with it personally, but, you know, I know the NFL trying to make as much money as they can on Super Walker Weekend. Heck, I wouldn't even be surprised in the next five to ten years, eight teams make the playoffs. Like, the NBA got eight teams to make the playoffs in the West and the East. I think the NFL is going there, I think, for the Wild Card Weekend to where they may mess around and just have playoff football whenever they can. Maybe buys won't even be a thing. Putting it out there. We'll see what happens in the near future. But talking about the first thing I want to touch base on is, yo, the SWAC football fans, bro, like y'all be tripping. I I, got to go in depth on it. So, look, as you guys know, I have a guy named Offscript Scotty, otherwise known as Offscript. That's his YouTube platform. Anybody listening, you guys check him out. He does a very good job of covering SWAC football from front to back in terms of going in depth and providing in-depth analysis on all teams that are playing within the SWAC. And he's even touching base on the MEAC since in the Celebration Bowl, the best team from the SWAC plays against the best team from the MEAC to find out who are or who is rather the HBCU national champion. So Scotty's been on the scene for almost a year and a half now. I'm, I'm thinking two. But I found out about him during the heat of the pandemic, right before the spring season started in the SWAC. We've been through the fall season. Uh, you know, Jackson State won the SWAC, lost the Celebration Bowl, all of that. So everybody's kind of gotten their taste of what off script is like from the time spring season started to now. And 
I honestly think that the hate and animosity that comes towards him is from guys that just don't appreciate the fact that he's not getting on his knees and kissing the ring of Deion Sanders because the main guys that are coming hard at him are Jackson State fans. And as a Jackson State alum, I got to be on a platform and talk about it because I just feel like their takes and their animosity towards him don't amount to anything credible and tangible because when you break it down to its true core, cats come out hella hypocritical. Hella hypocritical. I'm just being real. So let's start based on the fact that off script is an HBCU outsider. My guy, Scotty, started covering HBCU football this past year. And the main reason he got incorporated with it and brought it on his YouTube channel is how a lot of YouTube channels have been created in the YouTube circuit built upon talking about HBCU football. It's because Deion Sanders took the job at Jackson State University to coach their football team. So he comes along, creates a platform where at first he just made videos talking about uh, who was going to be a breakout performer for this game. He did a live stream of certain games when he probably wasn't supposed to, but he did it nonetheless. Sorry, man, didn't mean to put that out there. He was just a guy that created content like my man Blue Buds, who's also been on the platform where you create content to the point where it's like, all right, I'm going to talk about this game. I'm going to send my players to the game. Um, I might do interviews, but it wasn't really fan interactive until much later. Then it becomes fan interactive. He has his call-in show, one of the first people to do that in the SWAC football YouTube circuit. And then I think that's when it became a JSU issue. And so he's talked about how, you know, he's he has relationships with multiple guys within the SWAC. He talks to Dion three times a month. Um, he's got a relationship with uh Maynard, the head coach of Alabama and um he's really cool with well, I don't know if he's really cool, but he really likes Valley's coach, Coach Dancy. He's trying to get him on the platform. He's had multiple players from all schools in the SWAC on his show talking about um, who they are as people, why they chose these, why they chose to go the HBCU route, what do they want to do impactfully to help their brand and their institution. He's been covering all avenues of the SWAT. But the main thing that my guy does is he's critical to every football institution in the SWAT. He doesn't make it personal in the context of your school is trash. He only keeps it on the gridiron. And if he feels like your team isn't getting stuff done, he's going to talk about it. If he feels like there's a weak link on your team, he's going to talk about it. If he feels like a guy's overrated, he's going to talk about it. He's being a critical sports analyst guy. That's what his YouTube platform is built upon. And I don't appreciate JSU alums coming at my man and the rhetoric being he's a hater. All right. The popular thing that I've heard so far has been, Dion built your channel, Scotty. Why are you dragging and dissing on Dion all the time? Let's be real, guys. Look, did Dion make Scotty's channel? No. Now, did it give him notoriety in the context of he created his first video? A lot of guys tuned in for Dion, and he decided to build his platform off of covering popular aspects of HBCU football that happens to be Dion, because Dion's making HBCU football popping like that again. Sure. But guess how many other people have done that? A lot of them. You know what I'm saying? A lot of platforms on YouTube that cover HBCU football are doing that because of Dion. I didn't see stuff like that on YouTube covering HBCU football such with intense, intense analysis until Dion came and provided a spotlight 
for talent in the SWAC. And I'm a guy that went to a SWAC school. I didn't see that. I didn't. So there's that. Right? Everybody's doing that. So if you're saying he's, he's using Dion as a platform, uh, okay, so is everyone. But because he is, he's supposed to be undyingly loyal to Dion and not call him out. That's not a very good analyst. There's a guy named Skip Bayless who's undyingly loyal to the fact that he hates LeBron and never gives LeBron credit until this year. And I feel like he's doing it this year because he knows LeBron's probably not going to have a deep playoff run for a second year in a row. That's where he makes his money hating on Bron. So if Bron's not in the playoffs long, he can't do the hating shit, hating stuff rather that makes him money. So he's resigned to that fact. And so now he's trying to butter LeBron up as much as possible because he knows Time with LeBron is precious since he's winding down his career and he ain't going to be in the playoffs this season. His team sucks. And that's a LeBron problem. Another topic for another day. Y'all guys get on skip for always being a hater to LeBron and not keeping it a buck when LeBron does play well. So, but y'all want Scotty to kind of do what Skip does, but in reverse, because Dion shouted out his channel and led a lot of you Jackson State truthers to his channel. You want Scotty to always praise Dion even when Dion is not a very good coach I'm just uh, that's me personally I don't think Dion's a very good coach because there's plenty of games this year where he made zero adjustments and he just was like look I got my son on the team sons rather I got this talent on the squad that I feel like nobody in the swag can compete with we just gonna roll out and we're gonna play every day we're gonna play every weekend and we're gonna get it cracking and when he's done that you know what I'm saying they were able to win, run through the swag, but they lost in the celebration boat because you ran into a guy and Buddy Pugh who's been coaching for almost probably around the same time Dion is actual age. And he's seen everything in the football world from front to back. He comes in, makes his adjustments to what you do well offensively and defensively. You make none back because, hello, you've made no adjustments all year and you lose. And the way you're talking now with this new recruiting class coming in, it's like, yo, we're just going to have some new dogs in the room. We're going to light it up. I'm like, if your mentality is we just going to recruit talent, put it on the field and not coach it up right or make the requisite adjustments to adapt to what your opponent's doing well, you're probably not going to be successful in the SWAT because other SWAT teams who, in my opinion, had the coaches valley, um, A&M, uh, for example, but just didn't have the talent to keep up with you. Now they got the transfers. Now they have the recruits. Now they have their own requisite talent that they're going to be able to bring to Jacktown and beat you. And so I, I'm stating this facts. If Dion doesn't evolve as a coach and Shador Sanders doesn't evolve as a quarterback, I don't see Jackson State having this paramount of success that everybody's predicted them to have next year, despite the fact that they got Travis Hunter, despite the fact that they got the receiver, the number one overall receiver from Missouri. You got a coach, bro. You got a coach. You know, Nick Saban's a great recruiter, but he's just as good of a coach. That's why he's been able to be successful with different recruiting classes every single year. I'm just being real. So back to script, though. Look, man, like, okay, Dion shouted him out. Uh, well, Dion didn't shout him out until later, but his first video got hella views because of Dion. All right. Dion eventually shouted them out in an interview that they had because he called Dion out about something that Dion wasn't truly wrong about in the context. And he apologized. Dion reached out and appreciated the apology. They had the interaction. And then after the interaction, I'm going to keep it a stack. According to what uh, Script told his 
subscribers on a show he had, I think, a few months ago. He said, look, Dion was trying to buy me. Well, basically, he wasn't saying that. But in my opinion, what I heard was Dion was trying to buy him and put him in his pocket. He was trying to buy Scripps' channel in the context of he wanted Scripps to just talk good about Jackson State. Like a lot of these channels do. Just talk good about us. We'll tell you what to put out. We'll tell you not to put out. Basically say it's all peaches and roses over here. Don't be critical of us. And kudos to my boy Scripps. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it like that. That's not how he wanted this platform to be. He wants to have his own voice on his platform, not have Dion's voice also on the platform to appease a connect that you want to retain. And by staying true to himself, he's still able to attain that connection with Dion. Probably not the connection that he would have had if he was Dion's mouthpiece. But I, I know for sure there's a level of respect between those two because it's like as a man, you stood on your own two toes and kept true to who you want your platform to be. I can respect that. And that's the conversation that a lot of these Jackson State troopers don't know what was had, doesn't know what happened in terms of script, turning the script, flipping the script rather, and being true to himself. So there's that. Also, another thing I'm here, right, is he hating on the kids. No, he hating on the school and the kids. All right, look, let me tell you something. All right. Scotty has not hated on an HBCU as a collegiate institution at all on his platform. He donned shirts and gear of different school outlets within the SWAC. He's got, he recognizes FAMU. He recognizes Kremlin. He recognizes Valley. He recognizes Alabama A&M. He's recognized Jackson State. He's recognized Southern. Like, bro, like he gives, pays homage to all of these institutions as institutions. Like he's never dissed the institution as, oh, that sucky, that sucky, crappy HBCU school can't do ish. No, he hasn't done that. He always keeps it on the football field. If your football program isn't good, you're getting that smoke. You're getting that criticism from my boy, Scotty. If it is good, you'll get that praise. But you'll also get an extra level of criticism when you don't play well because it's like you're an elite program. I need to see you dominate. So that's why he goes a little bit hard on JSU because it's like, JSU, I know what you can be, the talent you put on the field. Dion's expertise as a player, the coaching staff, Dion always tips his hat towards in terms of having all of this coaching experience. It's not good to see you guys beat a division two Delta state by seven. It's not good to let a Texas Southern squad that's improving in the SWAC, probably their best year in the SWAC football in a while. It's not good to see that Texas Southern is hanging with you up into the fourth quarter. If you're supposed to be that juggernaut in the SWAC, we need more. The, Higher the status, the heavier the crown, the heavier the criticism. Guys should know this, but I'm going to be real. Jackson State fans not used to having success in football. So we had a successful season, and the fans don't know how to act. And so we're looking at it as this is the first time we had success. We're going to praise the guys that have given us success and ignore their pitfalls because we were here without them. We wouldn't be here without them. But you could also be like, that's good, but if we got you here, to bring us this success, this level of dominance that Dion always attributes to where he wants JSU to be. I need to see it. And if I don't see it, we got a problem. Script just following the same narrative that Dion's pushing in terms of our standards dominance. And just because the fans look at dominance as being we want a game, no matter how the game panned out, Script's like, yeah, you want a game, but you're supposed to be this, this bulldog out in the sweat. You got to dominate fools, right? Right? And they're not. 
But look, back to Scotty not disrespecting HBCUs. Just because I'm critical of your football program doesn't mean I hate your school or your school is trash. Vanderbilt University has the worst football program in the SEC. They've been having the worst football program in the SEC since I've been alive. Does anybody say, yo, Vanderbilt as an institution, because their football program sucks, is a horrible college? No, everybody knows Vanderbilt is the quote-unquote Harvard of the South. Everybody knows out of all the SEC teams when it comes to academics, Vanderbilt reigns supreme. They're just not a good football program. And people will be critical about that. And I haven't seen any Commodore fans get pissy about it. Like, yo, you're disrespecting my football team? You're saying my school is trash. So when I hear you be disrespecting HBCUs from other HBCU alums to Scotty, I'm like, he doesn't. He keeps it on the gridiron. And if you don't like the criticism that he has on the gridiron, then call in and talk to him about it. Don't get, like he says, emotional to the point where you're making up stuff. Like, you disrespect HBCUs. No, he doesn't, bro. Like, look, and this is, look, Scotty's my guy, but he's a flawed being. He has times where he does some stuff on his platform, and I'm like, I don't know, like, matching fire with fire in terms of they diss me, I'm going to diss him just as hard on my platform. I don't really approve all of that. There's times where he has explanations on certain theories that he has, and the examples that he uses are a little bit um, illogical at times, or I can't understand or comprehend where it's going. But if we talk about a guy and Scotty in terms of he doesn't have love and appreciation for HBCUs, that's Cap. If you're saying he needs to defend Deion Sanders at all costs and never say nothing bad about him because Deion gave his uh, platform clout, that's Cap because I appreciate the recognition that Deion gives you, but I'm going to still be critical of you because I'm a sports show. I'm critical of everybody. And if your response to all of this is you go a little extra hard on Jackson State, more than you do with other schools. Uh, are you guys not recognizing on his platform? He has a shirt in the background that says Rocket Mortgage Hornets because Alabama State hired a real estate agent with no coaching experience. He stays dragging them. He comments on Arkansas Pine Bluffs football squad as if they don't have one, as if they're not in the HBCU football circuit because they've been horrible the past year when everybody else in the SWAC got better, and it doesn't look like they're building towards success recently because I haven't heard them make any noise in a respective recruiting class. So where's the smoke for Scotty being critical to those guys? Rather than we don't like how he talks about Jackson State because Jackson State's also dominant and because they're dominant in the swag, they deserve praise, not criticism. In their dominance as a JSU alum, we had too many close games. In our dominance as a JSU alum, Shador Sanders played horrible the past two games. Well, the last two games of the season. In their dominance in the SWAC, Jackson State lost the Celebration Bowl bad to South Carolina State, who we all recognize from a roster perspective isn't better than Jackson State, but they're well coached. They have a better secondary, and they had an off uh, they had a defensive line that was able to take advantage of Jackson State's piss poor offensive line. They had an offensive line that was able to neutralize James Houston, and once you neutralize James Houston on Jackson State's defensive line, you're winning half of their defensive battle in the trenches. So. Bottom line is you have every right to like or not like somebody, but to have criticism on who they are, that's not true because you're just in your feelings on how they're, how they're able to not able to, on how they portray portray rather their product on their platform. Don't watch them, bro. Like that's it. That's it. And look, man, 
he might not have the subscribers right now, but the views that Offscript has been able to get on YouTube, 1 million talking about HBCU content. There's guys that have had platforms for years. HBCU game day come to mind. A few years on the YouTube platform. They don't do it like Scotty. You know, Scotty just got a different mystique about him. The personality, the energy, the call ins, the criticism for everybody, the antics. Bro, everybody gets the smoke. That's how he portrays his brand. And he's not lying. Everybody gets the smoke and the swag. I just need Jackson State fans as a JSU alum to get out of your feelings and honestly enjoy the moment more so than look for the criticism or look for a guy that you could pinpoint a hater. Because I'm going to be honest, all right? Dion is out of here soon. I don't think he's going to be out of here until his sons graduate. So you're going to have like a presidential type tenure with Dion. He's going to be there for four years and he's gone. So enjoy the prosperity, the money, the prestige, the recognition that the institution is getting. Enjoy that right now because it's not going to be there forever. This isn't going to be an Eddie Robinson type 30, 40 year ring. It's not. And then also recognize that if guys are being critical of your football team, Look at the criticism and see if it's valid, especially if it's on the football field. Don't look at it as, oh, my goodness, this outsider that never went to an HBCU can never talk about the I love. If you talk about my football team, you're talking about my institution. What are you talking about, bro? So if somebody disses the Saints, they talking about the city of New Orleans? No, they're not. They're talking about the football team. And some of it can be haters. Others can be valid criticism. Does Scotty sometimes take it to the top with the trolls, trolling stuff? He does. But he's already said he's trolling because the guys that come at him with the most heat and the logical smoke are JSU fans. They come at him ignorant. So you won't come at me ignorant. I'm going to come at you ignorant too. An eye for an eye. Some people get like that. And so I'm just like, look, enjoy your product while you can because it's not going to last forever. And also the goal should be if you're a JSU fan or an alum that supports anything affiliated with the institution, you want championship success for your program. Dion, we won the SWAT for the first time since 07. Like the SWAT championship. Dope. Now we want to win the SWAT and the HBCU National Championship. All right. I said the main thing Dion had to do when he became the coach. He had to beat Southern. He had to beat Alcorn. Two big things. Those are JSU's two biggest rivals. He beat them. All right. He won the SWAT. Now you got to win the SWAT in the national championship in the HBCU. That's next. And if Dion's not able to accomplish that for as long as he's the head coach, it's a failure. So that's that's so now your mindset needs to be. We appreciate that for us to, for us to get to where we need to go. We got to be fundamentally sound. And he's got to make that happen. And right now, all I can give Dion is he's one of the greatest recruiters in the country. But he's a sucky coach because he don't adjust. So I said it. Does that mean I'm a hater of Jackson State? No, this is real. Make the criticism go away by changing the narrative and winning it all. Then I can't say that no more. So that's all I got to say, man. Hey, by the way, though, check out my guy off script. Scotty, otherwise known off script. He's on YouTube. He does a great job at what he does. And look, if you're a hater of the dude, that's fine. If you don't like how he delivers his stuff, that's cool. I just don't like when people make up lies on why they don't like something. 
just say it with your chest. Like, I don't like dude because he too obnoxious. I don't like dude because he stay trolling JSU to, to get back at our fan base. He does all that. But when you say, I don't like dude, he disrespects HBCUs, he don't, bro. What are you talking about? That's stupid. Oh, I don't like how he come after JSU. He be extra with JSU. Uh, you don't see the um, Rocky Morning's Hornet shirt on the back? You you remember last year when he had the 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 G, the Grambling logo on the trash bag? Bro, he was really drilling them, bro. Imagine having a trash bag on the back of somebody's background. Why are you doing a podcast? And it's of your team's logo is on the trash bag. That's about as foul as you could get, all right? And I didn't see Grambling cats out here like, you wrong, Scotty. No. So just because I'm not praising you for being the best all the time, don't mean I'm a hater, bro. Don't mean I'm against your whole city where your college resides or your team resides. Stop it. And also, as as, as black people, this is a black tip, real talk. We got to stop being hypocrites, all right? HBCUs, you can't get mad at Scotty for clowning a football team when and frame it as he's clowning the institution when, when it's rivalry day, y'all be clowning the rival. Y'all actually be clowning a rival's institution. Y'all don't keep it on the field. I know. I heard cats call all corn slaw corn. I heard that. <laughs> Bro. So, come on, man. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop the cap. All right? Get out your feelings and create your own – or get out your feelings and create your own stuff to tell it how you want it to be told. Or understand media today is about being an entertainer in some aspect. That's what sells. Understand that, appreciate that, and then utilize it to your advantage. Like, all right, when we win, I'm going to talk that it's to Scotty. But when we lose, hey, I'm going to show up and take it, you know what I'm saying, or don't show up. Do that. Don't speak about the man like he not putting in that work, like he not keeping the same energy to everybody. Don't lie and say he crapping on hbcu schools like these secondary institutions in america don't don't put that on that man that's lies so i don't appreciate that so that's that's my take on scotty just wanted to defend my guy i'm gonna have him back on the platform soon enough and we gonna talk about it you know what i'm saying virtual face to virtual face up next man we want to talk about brian flores he's no longer the head coach of the miami dolphins and i have a ton of takes i want to take on why he's no longer the head man because i feel like the narrative that people are spewing about flores is he was unjustly fired and i'm like dude wasn't all that as a coach i mean just a few months ago he was one in seven so they regressed this year after they made a true genuine playoff push the year prior Without Tua being in the lineup like that, they go on that win streak where they beat no playoff caliber teams. Then they lost to the Titans where Tua did play really bad and then ended the year being the Dolphins. So, yeah, he's 19 and 14 his last two years. But I'm going to talk about why, if you put it in true layman terms, fan wasn't all that personally as a coach, in my opinion. But the big reason why he lost his job was the relationship he had with the owner, Stephen Ross, the GM, Chris Greer, and then the quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa. Now, he ain't like Chris Greer. And the reason why he didn't like Chris Greer was the draft selections that he felt Chris Gear, Greer, rather, not Gear, had final say on that when put on the team didn't really translate into anything special for elevating this team to playoff caliber. Now, it's been a mixed bag. You know, he did have, he did take Christian Wilkins 
he did take Jalen Waddle. He did take uh, Javon Holland. Javon Holland has been a phenomenal pickup from Oregon. I liked him coming out of college. He's special. He's been the real deal. Um, he's on PFF's all-rookie team. Jalen Waddle is also on PFF's all-rookie team. He's been phenomenal this year as well. They broke the rookie record for most catches in the season. He's been great. And Christian Wilkins hasn't been the most dominant interior defensive lineman like Aaron Donald, but he's been solid in his own right. And out of all the D linemen that were in that Clemson tree around that time, he's outperformed Dexter Lawrence by far. So I'm, I'm just being real. He's outperformed him. So Christian Wilkins has been real. But he's also had that 2020 draft. That sucked, all right? Took a chance on Austin Jackson, a project, say the least, at USC. Hasn't panned out at tackle, so they moved him to guard. It's still a struggle for them at guard. Noah Igamanami. Noah Ig. I'm going to call him Noah Ig, buddy. Noah Ig, buddy. I remember when he got drafted out of Auburn late in the first round. You know what cats were saying? The same stuff they said about Damon Arnett. Like, yo, this is a project. Like, okay, we know he went to a big school. Okay, we know he has the speed. Okay, we know he has the measurables. But his tape was not that good. It was very inconsistent. Why are you taking him first round? They took him first round. He was a healthy scratch in the final game of the season in his second year. So it's safe to say no is a bust. And then last but not least, Tua Tagovailoa. He's been injury prone. When he has played, he's been very inconsistent. So, Flores, I can rock with him with that. It's like, dog, we've let you have full control over the decision-making in the draft area, and you've been mixed bags. And while I appreciate the gems you did draft, um, the draft that we had where we could have took Justin Herbert, you know what I'm saying? You you, you failed. Uh, this, <laughs> the, the draft where – we could have got better tackle prospects or offensive line prospects. You took a project in Austin Jackson. The draft where we could have waited to get a corner. Maybe. We reached and failed. So I get it. I get floors. But at the same time, Brian, dude, you can't beef with the GM that the owner picked. You can't beef with him. You can't. You can't. You could talk to him about, look, Maybe we could come to a compromise over I show you who I like on my board, you show me who you like on my board, and I pitch to you. Or go to the owner. Like, look, owner, bro, like he took, but he took this dude I don't like, or not this dude, because I feel like at this point, you know, who's on your team's on your team. I don't think you can shame them. I don't I think the fans can shame the decision, but the guy in the office that's around the guy that made the decision can. So if you took Tua, Austin Jackson, Noah Igg, and you all recognize off-rip, they ain't all that, you got to find a way to maximize what they can do to the point where when it doesn't work out, the owner and the GM recognize you put in 100% to make sure that they were able to succeed. And then when it didn't work, everybody can be like, yo, we tried what we could. We supported that man. He just didn't have the goods to get it done. Better luck next time. You can't be like, oh, man, this is sucks. Why he picked him? Like, dude, like, it's only year two, all right? So, come on. And he's already there. Like, don't tear him down when he's going to be under your contract supervision for the next three years. Work with what you got. And then when he's in that fifth-year option, option angle, 
when he's around that time period, then you'd be like, look, man, it didn't work out. Look what the Browns doing with Baker Mayfield. The dude was banged up and hurt this year. Didn't play well. Honestly, Baker's really had, he's had two good years and he's had two bad years. He's been inconsistent. Baker's been Baker's been just as inconsistent as Tua. The difference is he hasn't been as hurt as Tua, but he's just as inconsistent as Tua. Brown's standing by that man. And he's actually in a player option that they could not pick up and trade him. They're standing by him because they understand they invested time and energy within this guy. They've seen the flashes. They feel like they have a team where they can make it work. Let's ride it out with this guy until it's pretty obvious we can't. And they've had him for about to be five years. You've had Tua, honestly, for a year because he was hurt a lot his rookie year. He didn't play. He came, didn't play a ton. He came in the back half and he didn't have that full grasp. He's been on the field a little bit more often, but he did go through that stretch where he was hurt. But when he's come back, it's pretty clear the team's played better football. Ride with that, man. Until you can't. I think he's inconsistent. But I also feel like you got to build a team around him to be successful. I think Tua does. Tua is a much better quarterback when he's around guys who run crisper routes and are dynamic without the football. If he had, honestly, if Tua had a team like the Niners have, where he's got Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Jawan Jennings, he would be successful in that offense because Debo is a yak demon. Debo also can play running back. Debo is kind of like Jalen Waddle. I mean, Jalen Waddle, I think, is a better um, – I think Jalen Waddle is a slightly better receiver. Debo is a better all-purpose guy. But you see the chemistry um, Tua has with Jalen? It's crazy, all right? Get you cats like Jalen. Now, you don't have to get a guy that's Jalen's size, but you can get a guy that plays like a Jalen Waddle. You know, so Jack, the Dolphins need to pick better weapons that align with Tua's abilities. And Tua's ability is he's an accurate intermediate passer. Doesn't have the strongest arm, but he's an accurate short to intermediate passer that is very successful out of RPOs and intermediate man beaters. Get guys that are very functional wideouts in RPOs and in intermediate man beaters. You can't give them Devontae Parker a contested catch specialist doesn't work or coincide with Tua's offensive abilities. You can't just, Will Fuller's cool, but Will Fuller is a straight line, deep burst, deep threat. Tua doesn't have the arm strength, I think, to function very well with the waddle. But you saw what he's able to do with Gesicki, a guy that can run short and intermediate routes well at the tight end position. You see what he's able to do with waddle, a guy that can take a slant 60 yards to the house, get you cats that are like Waddle and Gasicki. And I think you'll see Tua get to the top. There's some guys like a Herbert who literally inherited Phillip Rivers' weapons and is successful. There's some guys like a Mahomes who literally inherited Alex Smith's weapons and are successful. And then there's guys like Rodgers who literally inherited Brett Favre's weapons and are successful. There's some guy. There's some guys that are so good that they can just come in and inherit another guy's poor man's, not another guy's poor man's weapons, but there are some guys that are so good that they can inherit. My bad. My bad on that one, guys. There's guys that are so good that they can inherit another guy's team and be successful. 
Two is not that guy. And I think they should have realized that his first season. And they kind of did. They got Waddle. They really should see that with Flores out the building his second season and understand, okay, we got to get guys that coincide with what Tua does well. Then I think you'll get the best out of Tua. I don't think Tua will ever be the franchise-level quarterback of a Joe Burrow, who his rookie year with a broken-down A.J. Green, a overachieving Tyler Boyd, and those guys were successful, super successful. He's not going to be a Justin Herbert. All right, they they missed out on those guys, and I'm going to go in-depth to why Stephen Ross probably kept Flores out because of that. But you got a guy in Tua that is a decent NFL quarterback. You got your Ryan Tannehill, so to speak. You're just shorter as a lefty. Provide the weapons around him to make him successful. You didn't provide the weapons to make Tannehill successful, and that's why he didn't succeed. Don't do that with Tua. All right, not everybody's blessed to get the franchise quarterback. They had a chance to. They just didn't. That, But you didn't. But you are able to realize Tua's decent, so let's make it rock with Tua as long as we can. Don't push him away because you're in your feelings or because you feel like you could have did better. It's too late to do better now. You had a chance to do better. Doing better was out of your hands. So make it work with the cat that is there. I saw Sean McVay take a guy. When Sean McVay got the job, he probably thought deep down, Jerry Goff's not my guy. But ownership was like, yo, we're getting you to make Jerry Goff that guy. And he got Jerry Goff to a Super Bowl. He got Jerry Goff to three playoff appearances. Every time, well, not every time, but he got Jerry Goff to three playoff appearances in a Super Bowl. Then he traded him. He he drained every last bit of juice he could out of Goff and made it work. Why can't Flores do that with two? What makes him special? Like, come on. You're supposed to be that guy. So that that's that's my tidbit on that there. With Flores, bro. Like, if you're supposed to be that guy, you make it work. You honestly make it work. And I don't feel like he did. And I'm going to get to that. So during this time, um, according to Michael Lombardi, a league insider, he told Tua during Tua's poor performance against the Titans, if I'd known you were going to be this bad, I would have picked Mac Jones. Who says that to their starting quarterback in his second year? I would have took the rookie over you. And I honestly think Mac Jones ain't all that either. I think he's slightly overrated. Tua told told Flores, you don't know how to talk to people. Flores said he just needed better effing play from his quarterback. Bro, like Flores, yo, 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 yo. Flores is having this back and forth with his franchise quarterback, whether he likes it or not. He didn't play well against Tennessee. I saw the game recap. He didn't play well. Two is the reason why they lost that game. He did. But fam, you can't say that to a quarterback that, yeah, he didn't play well against Tennessee, but he played well enough for y'all guys to go on that seven-game winning streak. They put y'all in position to be in the playoff picture. Y'all wasn't even supposed to be in the playoff picture. But Tua's play helped make that kind of happen. Obviously, your defense played a huge part in improving, but Tua played well enough for you guys to go on that seven-game winning streak. Yes, against poo-poo trash teams, but he played well enough. So you don't tell a guy that helped get you back to back over 500 when he plays bad. Yo, like you ain't ish. I should have took Mac over you. You don't say that, bro. Like you don't. And two was right. 
this guy doesn't know how to talk to people. And according to my internet research, he had strained relationships, not with just Tua. You want to know why Minka Fitzpatrick isn't on the Dolphins anymore? It's because of the back and forth he had with Flores. And yes, Flores, in his first year on the job, was told by Stephen Ross to tank. And he decided not to towards the end of his career. Well, not career, but towards the end of his first year, which is why they weren't able to get uh, that all-world caliber quarterback his first year in the league. That's why that wasn't able to happen. But, bro, like, he beefed with Fitzpatrick. He beefed with Kenny Stills. He beefed with Eric Flowers, Kyle Vinoy, Bernardry McKeary. He even has run-in, had a little run-in with Devontae Parker. And... Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard wanted that extension. He wanted out of there. And I think Flores is one of the main reasons why. You can't have strained relationships with, it looks like, almost nearly a quarter of your team. It, it can't be that way. And you really can't have a strained relationship with your quarterback, man. I've done seen Sean McVay put up with Jared Goff's inability to read defenses consistently for a four-year span. And those guys were still able to get to the playoffs and win playoff games. Win the NFC with a guy that we quickly realized was kind of a bust. He wasn't a number one overall pick. As up and down as Carson Wentz was, did Frank Wright tell Carson Wentz on the sidelines, I should have kept Phillip Rivers over you? No. Even if you feel in your heart, it doesn't work with the guy that you're given. You can't say that. You got to stomach that. Be professional. Try to make it work as much as you can. And then when the river runs its course, then you cut ties. And even when you cut ties, you don't throw a cat under the bus. You say, I love him. I love the time he gave us. I appreciate him. I wish him nothing but the best. That's how you do in the professional world, especially as a coach, because not everybody's Mike Tomlin, especially if you're black. You can't burn bridges with players. You can't burn bridges with organizational management leaders because they're going to be able to give in a good word to you when you want to get your next job. I'm just being real. So, yeah, Flores went 19 and 14 his last two years, but he treated people like they were garbage, according to the stuff I read. He treated Tua like he was a bum. Is Tua a franchise quarterback? No. But is Tua Nate Peterman? No. Work with what you have. Try to get as much as you have with the personnel that you do have on your squad. And when the river runs its course, you leave the relationship amicably for the sake of your professionalism and of your career flores is an idiot if everything that i read went down like how it went down also another thing i think flores is a little bit overrated as a head coach he's a good defensive mind and i think a lot of that has to do with his teams being over 500 the last two years he took a miami defense that wasn't that good and made them very Solid. A lot better than other Belichickian disciples. Cornell didn't work because his defenses weren't that good. Joe Judge didn't work because he couldn't manage anything. He was just as worse as Flores, but at least Flores could 
coach up a defense. Joe Judge, I mean, couldn't even coach up the special teams well. And that was his exper- expertise. Josh McDaniels wasn't a great offensive mind as a head coach, just being real. And Matt Patricia put out horrible Detroit Lions defenses as a defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick. So Flores was the only Belichickian that I can remember in recent history that was actually good at his job being a D coordinator and implemented that within his team as the head coach. That's why they were able to be over 500. But he's not a very good coach against playoff caliber teams. That year you went 10 and 6. They were 1 and 4 against playoff teams in 2020. The year where they went 9 and 8 and they won seven straight games to kind of bring their season from being a top five team picking to being over 500. That seven game stretch, they didn't be no winning teams. Well, no, I don't want to say no winning teams. They didn't be any playoff caliber teams. They went two and five against playoff teams in 2021. They swept the Patriots. Good for him. Florida has had New England's number since he's been the head coach of the Dolphins. That's just, that's really his claim to fame. Cats is like, he's able to beat Belichick. No Belichick disciples been able to do that. But he's three and nine against other playoff winning. Well, he's three and nine overall against playoff teams. Three and nine. So he beat, I'm I'm thinking he beat New England. I think all those wins are against New England, if I'm not mistaken. It's not good enough. It's not. Well, no, they're not all against New England. Two of them are. Bro, you're three and nine. The Bills, who've won the division two years in a row, have swept you twice. That's why you can't get to the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs the last two years because of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, who made his defense that is very good against his poo offensive teams he made them in a swish cheese josh allen did against the miami dolphins that's why you're not in the playoffs you can't beat the bills so i think his coaching acumen is a little overrated due in large part because he can't beat winning teams that have explosive offenses or an offense that has a functional offense with a functional quarterback can't beat them can't beat them so you're a piece of crap that can't beat winning teams why would i keep you now if he was a piece of crap but they were in the playoffs two years in a row and they made a playoff run. Like the first year they went to the divisional, the second year they lost the wild card. Maybe. Okay. I, I get it, but you're a piece of crap. That's why Mike Munchak lost his job with the Titans. They went to the divisional round, lost badly to the Patriots. Munchak loses his job, comes to find out he had a horrible relationship with the people up top and with the players. Same thing happened to Flores. As a black head coach, you got to be perfect to keep your job. And the one thing you can't do is you can't be a piece of crap. That's half of being a successful head coach, being professional and welcoming to your team. Obviously, you can't be a pushover, but you can't be a jerk. And this is what I don't understand with these Belichickian disciples. They operate under the confines of I'm going to take that Belichickian perspective to my team. And that's going to give me success. It's not because Belichick's able to get away with how he is because he's a champion. He's won six rings. He had Tom Brady who fell in line, which made everything tick. All right. You don't have a Brady that's going to fall in line with what you do. And if you did have a Brady talent wise, there's no guarantee they're going to have the personality to put up with that ish. So I'm hearing Flores to the Bears. I'm hearing Flores to the Texans. 
let me tell you something, all right? If I am Chicago, I am not getting Brian Flores after the stuff I just read. So if you don't like me, you're going to tell me I could have did better and make my life miserable, berate me all the time if I have an unsuccessful two-week stretch. He's going to kill Justin Fields. Because another thing I heard about Flores, which is even worse, he doesn't hire a good staff. The whole purpose of Flores, the whole purpose of the Bears being successful as a team is they have to hire somebody that's going to implement an offensive system that's successful under Justin Fields, who they mortgage their future to get to be their franchise quarterback. I'm better off taking Brian David, who successfully changed the course of Josh Allen's career, utilized Josh Allen's legs, which Matt Nagy did not do with Justin Fields as a dual threat quarterback. I'm not going to get a guy in Brian Flores who's going to bring up bringing a crappy staff with him that's going to underutilize my quarterback's ability, diminish his ceiling as a young talent. But the Bears' defense is good, though. So the Bears are going to be, what, Miami Dolphin North? They're 9-8, and 10-6. Maybe they wind up and do make the playoffs because, well, I don't know if they're going to make. Well, they might make it. They make the playoffs in the NFC. Because I do feel with a better coaching staff, the Bears can be a playoff caliber team. You lose, and it's the same hell that Miami plays experienced Chicago players do. If I am a team, I am not hiring Brian Flores unless I got an established quarterback in the room. So I heard Houston wants him. If Houston is getting Brian Flores, they better keep Deshaun Watson. And I don't see them keeping him because Deshaun and ownership, that relationship is fractured. Unless Flores is able to call Deshaun and be like, look, man, I'm going to make sure that I protect you from poor managed ownership. And how is he going to do that if he's a horrible people person? Only way you can protect him is you're a good people person and you're able to tell management, yo, let me let me handle Deshaun. He sucks with people. Look, man, I just reading this stuff about Brian Flores just makes him not a enticing coach to me. And I think he dodged the bullet with Miami because he was successful in Miami when a lot of head coaches haven't been since the Dan Marino days, um, since post-Dan Marino. Uh, he beat Belichick as a Belichickian disciple. Belichickian disciples don't do that. He's had success against New England, but the problem is – New England's no longer top dog in the AFC East. So you need to change your evaluation criteria. Your evaluation criteria needs to be, how is he against the Bills who are going to run our division because they have stability and a foundation within their franchise finally? He sucked against the Bills. He was 0-4 the past two seasons. I don't think Flores is all that as a head coach. He's a sucky people person. You know what that sounds like a good combination of? A pretty damn good coordinator. He'd be a pretty good defensive coordinator, and that's where he needs to stay. But he's going to get another job. And once that flames out there, too, because I don't think he's going to change who he is, I think that's when people are going to learn about who Brian Flores is as a person. Bro, I read some weird stuff. Like, he was checking Tua for HGH. Because he didn't like how his body was formulating. He thought it was unnatural. Who, who does that? Like, weird. Just weird stuff, man.
weird stuff from a very crappy person. And I have seen guys from other teams, well, fans from other teams be like, we want Flores. Flores should be the top hire. I'm good on Flores, bro. I welcome in Dable. Welcome in. I welcome in Dable, like I just stated. Uh, I welcome in Brian Leftwich. I welcome in Doug Peterson. Bro, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I take freaking Bill O'Brien <laughs> over Flores after the stuff I read. Well, O'Brien might be just sucky, but at least O'Brien, it went down here with O'Brien when he had power, when he was just coaching and guys drafted the talent. This was decent. Well, you gave him supreme power. He was horrible. Although it felt like at times he didn't know how to properly utilize Deshaun Watson. So that's my take on Flores there. But last but not least on the pod, I'm going to address the playoff matchups on Super Wildcard Weekend. That will be Saturday, Sunday. And it's now Monday. NFL love in that check, bro. They're going to squeeze any amount of juice that they can on money-making opportunities. They are. I mean, I, you can't, can't blame them. But I'm like, why is there a Monday playoff game? Like, where they do that at, bro? Like, like where? All right? Where they do that at? I don't get it. Personal. All right, here, here are the matchups for Saturday, bro. All right, I'm going to pull up the matchups for Saturday. They're all, all intriguing. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they all are intriguing. I don't really think you have a bad game except maybe Steelers. Chiefs, that game sucks. Let's go Saturday. Raiders, Bengals, 430 NBC. You can stream it on FUBU TV. So I'm totally watching this on Peacock. All right, look, man, the Raiders, I picked them to beat the Chargers to get to the playoffs, and that happened. Um, And ever since I've been with PFF, I've kind of patted myself on the back and appreciated my football analysis. It's given me a better understanding on how these teams are because I watch them now. For my job, I watch in the game a true vivid analysis. And so all of these teams that are in here, I feel like I accurately know who they are because I've watched multiple games on them. Rather, in years past, I just lock in on the Saints, catch the primetime games, and just leave it at that. Just kind of go off of what I see on YouTube highlights and stuff like that. But I'll be looking back knowing who these teams are. So there's that in that totality. Now, look, the Raiders have the pass rush that will give Cincinnati problems. They've got a running game now that will give Cincinnati issues. But my problem is Derek Carr has been trippy. He's been super trippy recently. They've been able to win despite it because Carr has been able to make that key crucial play down the stretch doing large part because their defense is able to hang tight and withstand his poorest play early. But I, I don't think people understand the complexity within this Cincinnati offense. They're a very good rushing football team. And I think in this game, they're going to run the football. They beat the Raiders in a regular season by running the ball. Like I, Joe Burrow did not throw up for 200 yards. I had, I had uh, what you call it, Jamar Chase starting him. He scored a touchdown, so he made my fantasy day a little bit better. But that was a very balance-oriented football team that afternoon. I think they're going to adopt and adopt that same philosophy against the Raiders because the Raiders struggle against the run. This is going to be a heavy Joe Mixon day. Um, I think Cincinnati's front defensive line is going to get after Derek Carr. And I think Cincinnati's going to win it because of their defensive line and their rushing attack. 
they're going to have to find a way to protect Joe Burrow. I think they know coming into the game, Max Crosby's no joke. Yannick Ngakwe's no joke. Vegas finally has the pass rush that can take advantage of Cincinnati's offensive line. So they're going to make this a ball control run offensive game, especially if it's going to be snowing in Cincinnati. This is going to be a physical grounded out game. I don't think you're going to see this high scoring shootout that everybody's prepping themselves for. I got Cincy winning this probably by double digits, but it's going to be close into the end. So Cincy, go get your first playoff victory since the 90s. Now, Patriots Bills, that's our next 715 Central CBS. You're streaming on Paramount Plus. New England, man, they've been tripping the last few weeks of the season. Mac Jones' hype has diminished because his play has diminished, and it's largely because he's limited. He doesn't have the strongest arm, so their game is pretty situated off of run-the-football play-action, intermediate-type passing concepts. But his intermediate passing game has been very underwhelming. He's been turning the ball over. He's been throwing some inaccurate balls. He's been getting sacked. He's been turning the ball over, to say the least. The pressure's getting there. He's turning the ball over. He's missing on throws. So his precarious, efficient, ball-protecting play that made New England the hot team when they went on that streak, that's diminished. And I'm going to be honest. Buffalo's figured out every defense in this division. They figured out Flores' defense. That's why I went in on Flores on the last segment. They figured out Belichick's defense. I mean, they figured out the Jets. I mean, the Jets are the Jets. Allen's got the legs in the hole, all right? And offensively, Buffalo's been tripping the past few weeks. I've been saying tripping a lot. It's popular in this um, segment. And Allen, surprisingly, does not play well in cold-weather games. It's supposed to be zero degrees, I think, in Buffalo, five, zero to five degrees. Allen's talked about how he doesn't like getting tackled in the cold. They got this guy for inclement weather, and he hasn't played well in inclement weather lately in his career. So that's ironic enough. But I think their offense has clicked enough. They've developed a running game. Um, Allen plays it very well against Belichick. Their receivers always have a mismatch against New England secondary. I think Buffalo wins this game a little bit more handedly than people recognize. I think New England's going to keep it close. He's going to run the football, but you can't protect Mac forever. And Josh Allen, like I stated, he's figured out Belichick. They struggled the last time when they played in Buffalo under winking inclement weather because of the win. And Allen just missed some deep shot targets to Stephon Diggs, like just, just missed. I mean, he like just missed. He makes those we're having a different conversation. Heck, he makes those. I don't think New England's in the playoffs because they lost to the Colts. So that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes in the NFL. Um, but I got the Bills winning this one. Now, Sunday, uh, got two underwhelming games and one decent one. Eagles, Bucks, one o'clock on Fox. You know, my problem with the Eagles is the thing that they do very well is the thing Tampa defends well. They're a very good running team, the number one rushing offense in the league. Tampa's got to be a number one run defense in the league. If they're not, they're top two alongside the Saints. Now, what the Eagles have been able to do since they adapted a run for this offense, they've been able to run it well against everyone. Tampa has injuries on the defensive line, so they might have a chance. But the guys that are healthy, Sue and Vea, are in the middle, they're going to they're gonna struggle to run on up the middle. So where I think they will try to run is on the edges. That's going to be a tough task there because Devin White and Levante David play no games, and they are very fast sideline to sideline backers. So that means Jalen Hurts is going to have to win this game. He's, just, he's going to – and win this game doesn't mean he's going to have to throw for 300 yards. But I think on these third and longs, the key drives alive, he's going to have to convert on pass plays. 
And when I've seen Philly play, Sirianni's done a pretty good job of scheming passing concepts open for Hurts to hit. But in the playoffs, guys know your schemes. They know your tendencies. They know what you like and don't like. They're going to take those initial first reads off of RPOs away. Hurts has no problem, in my opinion, going to his second and third read. But he's only a successful passer off of his first and second read when he breaks contain and is able to manipulate the passing zone to a more accurate area within his backyard. And you do that against Tampa Bay's fast sideline to sideline backers, you're going to get killed. Don't have faith in the Eagle offense. I do think their defense will give Tampa some issues because Brady doesn't have his normal weapons out there. I mean, it's Mike Evans and some third, fourth-tier guys. And I think that will catch up with Tampa Bay. In the playoffs, they just want to get to Philly because Philly's secondary is decent. They have Darius Slay and Avante Maddox, but everybody else is kind of eh. So there's that there. I think it'll be a closer game than people recognize, but I got to rock with Tampa because of Jalen Hurts' limitations as a passer. Niners-Cowboys. This is the one everybody's quick to be like, San Francisco's going to upset Dallas. San Francisco's going to upset Dallas. I'm a rock with Dallas. Look, man, um, the reason why I'm a rock with Dallas is because I think Jimmy G's play in the last game of the season to get the Niners to the playoffs is a aberration. And I also feel like what the Niners do well is they control the line of scrimmage. They do so offensively with their O-line. That's why they're able to run the football very well with Debo Samuel and um, Eli Mitchell. And they dominate their line of scrimmage with a defensive line. That's why they're able to get in the backfield and create sacks. However, Dallas's offensive line, when they're healthy, is top five in the league. Tyron Smith isn't what he used to be, but when he's on the field and for the most part, 80%, he can hold his own. Now, I do think Nick Bose is going to be a problem, but I think he might be the only problem that will wreck habit on that D-line. I think Dallas will be able to neutralize the rest of the Niners D-line. And if they're able to do so, you can run on the Niners and you can for sure throw in that poo-poo secondary if you have time. Every time has made the great pick, but they got seven rounders and journeymen back there in their secondary at corner. Their best corner is Emmanuel Mosley. He's not what he was two years ago. And their safeties are very aggressive in run support and on underneath routes. They're not ball hawking center fielders. So I expect Dallas's offensive line to hold up, and I expect their defensive line to dominate and terrorize Garoppolo and get into the backfield and disrupt the rushing ability of Eli Mitchell and Debo Samuel. So I expect Dallas to win by 14. Look, the Niners have shown, all right, two sides. They can get up on you early when everything's rolling offensively, but they can also get down early when everything's not rolling offensively. They are a... Tempo team. When the tempo is in their favor, they're tough to beat. They got a, they were able to come back and beat the Rams. If they start off slow against Dallas, they're going to lose bad because Dallas is a front-running team. When, they're, when Dallas is able to establish the front line early, they're unbeatable. Now, when they're not able to and it takes them a little bit later to do so or they're never able to and it becomes a – how do I put it? It becomes a – off-script chess match where, all right, quarterbacks just going to have to go off-script and make plays. You got a shot because sometimes Dak can do it 
and then other times that can't. But honestly, this is a good matchup for Dallas when they're healthy, contrary to popular belief. They are come playoff time as much as they will be. I expect Dallas to win this. Pittsburgh and Kansas City, this is the game where if you're picking Pittsburgh to win, you you tripping. These teams actually met a couple year, couple weeks back, and it was a mismatch from jump. I expect it to be the same. Big Ben Roethlisberger already told the media, I don't think we got a chance. Now, some people say it was sarcasm. Some people say it was tongue-in-cheek to hype up his team. Najee Harris didn't think so because he quickly put out on his story, N-word what? So I don't I don't think Najee thinks it's funny games. I'm with Ben, though. They have no chance. Um, Look, man, to beat Pittsburgh, you, not to beat Pittsburgh, to beat Kansas City, you have to attack them defensively down the field in the passing game. You got to be able to run the ball decent enough to open up passing avenues down the field. And then on the defensive side, you got to be able to get to Pat Mahomes. Now, they can get to Pat Mahomes with T.J. Watt. Um, Orlando Brown hasn't been that good. Now, Kansas City's offensive line has been solid, but their tackles haven't been great. It's been their interior linemen that have been phenomenal. Creed Humphrey, uh, the guy from Tennessee that they got in the sixth round, and uh, dude um, Joe Tooney, who they got from New England. They've been great. Their tackles, not so much. They've been inconsistent. So T.J. Watt, I think, will have an impact. But Pittsburgh offensive line is so bad. It is horrible. It's so bad that they can't protect Big Ben. All right. So that's why their passing game has kind of shortened itself throughout the year. That and Big Ben can't throw the ball beyond 10 yards. But a lot of that is because he just doesn't have time. And they struggle to run the football. It's amazing that Najee Harris is top five in rushing. Now, a lot of people were hating on Najee. Because it's like he's top five in rushing, but look at the carries he had and his yards per carry. Somebody brought up his yards per carry. I'm like, bro, his yards per carry is almost 4.0. It's like 3.8. I think it's 4.0 now for sure. He's got a 4.0 yards per carry behind that trash offensive line. That's a success story. Pittsburgh, in my opinion, when they fortify their offensive line and get stability at the quarterback position, they will be a problem offensively. They just won't be a problem Sunday night. Because they don't have none of that right now. And Kansas City is going to eat them alive with their pass rush that has gotten stronger with the inclusion of Melvin Ingram. Their run defense is going to be a problem with Chris Jones there. He wasn't there the first time around. And their secondary is very aggressive and very ball hungry, especially when you don't have a deep passing game. So Kansas City... In my opinion, this is the most complete Kansas City football team out of all the past teams that they've had in the Mahomes era. And to beat a complete Kansas City team, you got to be complete too. And Pittsburgh isn't complete. They're not. Not at all. And I expect the Steelers to get killed by the Chiefs. I think this is the game that might be over in the first quarter. Like, uh, like for real. Um, and that's that's just facts. So... She's dodged one, not playing the Chargers, but you know, Pittsburgh, that's that's basically like a buy. I don't I don't think the Chiefs should rush their players like Nick Wright thinks. But if it gets out of control in the first half, put the backups in and prep yourself for a barn burner against Buffalo. Monday night, Cardinals, Rams. This is the night capper. This is the this is the 50-50 to me personally. This is the 50-50, not Niners, Cowboys. Not Bills, Patriots, not Bengals, Raiders. It's Cardinals, Rams. 
That's the even split. I don't know which one to pick. Until I saw the Rams been playing this last month, bro. They've been so bad. They can't stop the run. You can throw all over them, despite the fact that they have Jalen Ramsey. And offensively, their old line has been getting picked apart by different pass rushers alike. You know what I'm saying? I saw it against Green Bay. It's it's gotten worse. And Stafford under pressure isn't good. And Stafford in pressure moments isn't good. Stafford in clutch moments isn't good. Stafford overall, when it counts, isn't good. And this is why I'm going against the Rams. It's really Stafford. I don't trust him. He's been trash the past month. And everybody's talking about the Cardinals haven't been consistent as an offensive unit. At least with Arizona, I can be like, well, they kind of overachieved the first half of the season because they were very opportunistic defensively. And Kyler Murray was playing hella efficient. But what some people don't want to bring up is Arizona was also running the football. They're a different football team when they're balanced offensively. Keeps their defense off the field, protects Kyler Murray from getting killed, and also protects Kyler Murray from himself at times, who when he feels like he has to throw it 35, 40 times a game, he becomes or plays like a superhero. And for better or worse, it produces mixed results. You can run against the Rams. You can run against the Cardinals. But you can run against the Rams. The Rams have had trouble with Kyler Murray this year. Contrary to popular belief with and without DeAndre Hopkins, as long as Arizona doesn't turn the ball over, uh, they, they I got them winning this football game. And if the Rams lose in the first round after mortgaging their whole future to get Stafford, believing Stafford can take them over the top, there will be conversation to be had this offseason. Stafford has the tendency to bite the Rams in the face, just like the Cousins move Bit the Vikings in the face. You mortgage all your capital for this talented but average quarterback, and it gets you nowhere. Now, at least for the Vikings, they won one playoff game against the Saints, but that was mainly because Drew Brees was just as washed up, and the Saints defense had no answer for Adam Thielen. But outside of that, They've been underwhelming in Minnesota to the point where Mike Zimmer doesn't have a job. So McVay's going to be fine. All right. But it's not a good look when for the past month, your quarterback has been horrible and you've, you've schemed everything up for him to be successful. Stafford has all the talent in the world to be successful. Cooper cup, Van Jefferson, OBJ isn't is what he is, but the, he's got the weapons. He's got the tight end. He's got the running game. Now, the offensive line is losing a step, and a lot of it has to do with the age. I mean, Wentworth's like 40, playing tackle. It's crazy. But, dude, he's got to play better. And the key stat no one wants to talk about, I will. Stafford is 0-3 in playoff games. And he's lost a lot of playoff games with matchups like the one he's going to have Monday night. All right? I saw that Saints game where I don't think they had a chance when they played the Saints in the playoffs. They played Dallas and Seattle. Seattle wasn't what it was at that point. Dallas was Dallas. And he lost both of those games because they kind of tried to hide him. And then when they needed him to step up, he didn't. I think this is how this one is going to be against the Cardinals. I think they're going to hide Stafford by being more balanced, maybe taking a run-first approach. 
but eventually you're going to need Stafford to make a big time play on a third and long. And he's not going to be able to all that arm talent in the world. And he's not going to be able to. So those are my picks there. I basically have every home team winning, but the Rams. Yeah, just, just the Rams. Just don't have the Rams on it. That's, that's unfortunate. Um, and with that, that'll be the end of episode 39 the Independent Intel Podcast. Yo, it's always great to do a solo dolo episode talking about a variety of topics. We went NFL-based here. And next week, we may continue doing that. May continue doing NFL. Might include the NBA. Who knows? Have been keeping up with the NBA. So continue to check out my stories, Intel stories, uh, where I go in-depth on some NBA topics there. But, hey, man, playoff football is here. Can't wait to watch it tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday. Um, and I'll be back next week to talk about those games, like what happened. And we'll go from there. So with that, without further ado, this is your boy, Kim Bumani. I'll be back next week with episode 40. Y'all stay tuned. Y'all stay blessed. Peace.